Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the OIS podcast. I'm Sophia Patai, MD, PhD, and I'll be your host for today. Now, I'm thrilled that over the last year, we've had the chance to speak to some great entrepreneurs, early stage companies, and even the late stage folks in the ophthalmology space. It's been very US and Europe focused. So I'm really happy today that we take a leap, maybe more eastwards, and we get to learn more about Affamed Therapeutics. And importantly, we get a chance to speak to their chief financial officer, Vijay Karwal. Vijay, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sophia. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you. For those folks who don't know about Affamed Therapeutics, it's a clinical stage biopharma company that's focused on developing and commercializing pharma, digital, and surgical products that address critical and met need in ophthalmology, neurology, and psychiatric disorders. And Vijay is, of course, the CFO, but also an operating partner of CBC Group. Now, Vijay, we, of course, want to learn more about Affamed, um, its history and its future. But to start with, tell us something about your career journey to date. I know you've had quite the global career and maybe if memory serves me well, even time in the UK. So would love to learn more. Thank, thank you so much. Um, yes, I, I guess I, um, I have a background that, that's perhaps a little bit more international than most. Um, I'm a native of the Netherlands. I'm, I'm Dutch, although as my name suggests, I'm obviously of, of Indian heritage. Uh, I was born and, and raised there, uh, educated uh, in Holland, uh, but also uh, for a brief period in, in the UK, in Southampton. Um, and after graduating uh, in, in finance and economics, so I have no background uh, in, frankly, healthcare or science in that regard, although I've picked up a fair amount over the years, um, I actually started my career in international banking. Um, and was fortunate to uh, have an opportunity to live and work and learn in a, in a, a number of different geographies. I spent uh, roughly the first half of my career, uh, the first dozen years in the United States, principally in New York, uh, where I worked as a healthcare banker. Uh, I did spend a number of years uh, in London as well, uh, working in the European capital markets. Um, and then uh, a little over a dozen years ago, I came to Asia um, and have worked principally in Hong Kong, but also in Singapore uh, over the past uh, over the past ten plus years, uh, mainly in finance. But having always been specialized in healthcare, uh, it came to a point where uh, the temptation to, you know, become uh, you know a principal instead of an advisor, uh, you know, became uh, too great and uh, had an opportunity to make a move across to you know what from my the previous perception would have been the other side of the table um, a little over a year ago by joining Affamed as their CFO. Well, thank you for sharing that marvelous journey. And, you know, one of my favorite parts about doing these podcasts is that folks have such diverse, non-linear journeys before they ultimately somehow end up in ophthalmology. So we're thrilled to have you uh, in the ophthalmology space as well. And that brings me to Affamed. So, um, you know, Folks uh, across uh, in the US and Europe may well have heard of Affamed, but just bring us up to speed. Tell us more about uh, the company uh, through its inception and its journey. And also, I know that we mentioned ophthalmology, but you have a broader pipeline in neurology and psychiatry. So talk to us a bit more about Affamed. Yeah, so I think Affamed has to be understood within the context of 
the evolution of, of the life sciences and particularly biotech ecosystem in greater China as a whole over the past uh, couple of years. And I think the company was established to capture really two principal uh, opportunities that, that have uh, arisen. Uh, one is to bridge the gap between global innovation um, and unmet need in China. Uh, I think many of the listeners and viewers might be aware that the, the vast majority of new products, molecules, devices that have been developed and approved in for the North American and European markets never actually were brought to market to, to China. Um, and a combination of, of regulatory reform, um, reimbursement reform and other factors uh, have significantly changed the, the, the pathways over the past couple of years and have opened up an opportunity really to, to bridge that gap and, and to an extent uh, perform a degree of catch up uh, by identifying you know, important innovation that is not yet available to Chinese patients. Um, and Afimed uh, is, is very consciously looking to identify you know, products and, and devices uh, that, that can be used in, in that regard. I think the second key area that we're looking to benefit from is in a way the reverse of that, which is that China and Asia as a whole are also starting to play a much bigger role in innovation themselves. Um, and whereas uh, that in, in the beginning might have been viewed more as perhaps me betters or fast followers, we're starting to see dynamics now where, where true innovation is, is starting to come out of this part of the world. You also see it reflected in, for example, patent filings and other metrics and scientific publications and other metrics of, of innovation. Uh, so an, another way, a, a more simple way in which we sometimes describe this is that look, we, we look to help uh, be global for, for China uh, and bring the world to China, but equally we, we try to be China for global uh, and bring Chinese innovation to, to the world. Now, whereas there is, um, in terms of our therapeutic focus, look, whereas there is, uh, you know, a scientific relationship and overlap between neurology and, and particularly retinal disease, um, at the same time, we also have to be upfront that our TA focus was also selected, frankly, based on an assessment of, of unmet need, uh, competitive intensity, uh, availability of opportunity, um, and in that regard, uh, as you see, you know, in many other parts of in, in the world, uh, whereas there is, you know, an enormous concentration of, of funds flow and R&D effort going into areas like oncology, uh, you find that when you particularly look into ophthalmology, uh, that there is, you know, enormous unmet need, but, but much, you know, much less attention being given to that. So uh, a little over three years ago, our principal shareholder, which is a, a private equity group that I'm uh, happy to sp uh, give some more background to called CBC Group, uh, established Afimed as a platform uh, to really capture those two, uh, two opportunities. Um, with, with the key enabler uh, for that being assembling what we think is, is a world-class development team, uh, consisting, um, you know, of, of executives uh, who have not dissimilar to me, but more from a scientific perspective, you know, bring real global experience, uh, mostly U.S. trained, uh, educated, uh, but with strong knowledge uh, of, of China uh, and, and the regulatory system, the scientific environment, um, and, uh, you know, leveraging the capabilities of that team, we're now building that portfolio.
Thanks for that candid and comprehensive overview. And I think I, I love the idea and resonate on global for China and, and China for global. I think that's, that's incredibly timely and, and strategic. So of course you're on the ophthalmology innovation podcast. So maybe we can uh, dig deeper into the ophthalmology pipeline. I mean, when I looked at the Apamed uh, website, I see that you've got a complete offering, you know, from post-surgical pain through to IOLs and also to the retina, which is, um, you know, quite a, a broad pipeline for, for a early stage company, you know, across ophthalmology. So was that a strategy quite intentional? And maybe does it relate to the market needs of China? We'd love to know more about the, the thinking behind that. Thank you. It, uh, it, it does. As I mentioned earlier, we came at this based on, you know, an assessment of, of need, of, of opportunity, uh, of competitive intensity. And uh, whereas our ophthalmology portfolio is, is relatively broad, as of today, we have 11, uh, you know, pharmaceutical and device products in, in various stages of uh, local development and registration. Uh, but when you look at it more closely, you can really group it in, into two principal buckets. Uh, one is uh, a group of products uh, centered around the opportunity, uh, principally in cataract and, and refractive surgery, uh, both uh, implants, IOLs, uh, but also products to optimize post-surgical care, like our anti-inflammatory compound. Um, and the second bucket is, is principally focused on, on retinal disease, um, with then one additional program in, in glaucoma uh, added to that. Now, when you look at the underlying opportunities, they're, they're actually very significant. Um, one statistic that, frankly, in a way, continues to surprise us is how far behind uh, China, which by all metrics is, is now you know, a middle income, if not an advanced country in many ways, is still behind in cataract surgery. Uh, there is a statistic that I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with called the, the cataract surgery rate or the CSR. Um, and the CSR in China as of today um, stands at about 20% of that in the United States, uh, meaning that on a you know, per capita basis, assuming that incidence and prevalence are actually not too dissimilar, um, you know, five times the number of patients would get treated in, in the US uh, as opposed to China. Um, even compared to, to India, uh, which is a country that is obviously less developed, um, India performs about double the number of cataract surgeries as compared to China uh, on, a, you know, on, a, on a per capita basis, which is quite a, a, a staggering thing that the Chinese government uh, has recognized this um, in uh, the sort of the healthcare chapter of the current five-year plan uh, that is being executed. They've actually identified cataract as a, as a principal national health goal, uh, that they're putting uh, a, a lot of support and uh, initiative behind in terms of catching up and, and bridging that gap. And look, from a numerical perspective, what that means is that whereas last year there were roughly 4 million cataract surgeries performed in China, uh, that that number will grow probably to about 10 million by uh, the end of the decade. Uh, which is just, an, you know, the numbers in China are always staggering by, by any metric. And that's, of course, in terms of number of surgeries, easily the largest uh, opportunity globally and certainly the largest growth opportunity globally. Um, and what is even more interesting within this uh, regard is that whereas, like in many countries with, with the single payer uh, system, uh, the, the public sector is, is typically very dominant in the provision of care uh, in China, as it relates to ophthalmology and eye surgery, uh, the private sector actually plays a disproportionately important role. Uh, 
um, with the existence of, of large chains of private eye care uh, and, and surgical hospitals. Um, and what that also frankly means is that from an economic perspective, um, private pay, uh, self-pay uh, plays a bigger role uh, in eye surgery than, than in other indications. Uh, so it's a very, very important opportunity. And we think that by providing uh, an, an integrated suite of, of products, both for use in the surgery itself, as well as for post-surgical care, we develop a play on, on this very significant growth opportunity. Um, retinal disease is obviously you know, a large opportunity in ophthalmology anywhere. I think globally, the anti-VEGF pharmaceutical market will reach, you know, some have estimated it to be as large as $30 billion by the end of this decade. Um, within China too, uh, we see that anti-VEGF therapies probably represent about a third of the economic opportunity. Uh, in, in ophthalmology pharmaceuticals. Uh, but again, similar uh, to what you see in surgery, the growth rates far exceed those, uh, what you see elsewhere in the world. Um, you know, for the next five to 10 years, we estimate that the market for, you know, anti-VEGF um, and, and pharmaceuticals for retinal disease will grow at over 20% a year, year on year, uh, uh, for a significant period of time. Um, you know, that, that is on a patient base that is probably about two and a half times the size of that in the United States. And, and that makes, whereas pricing might still be a bit lower on a, on a unit basis, you know, that, that will represent, you know, a five to $7 billion market opportunity uh, within the next five to 10 years. So again, a very, very significant opportunity uh, where we think that by, you know, offering a portfolio that in our case sort of balances uh, proven uh, therapies with 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 innovation, um, we can establish ourselves as a leader uh, in that space. Uh, particularly given that, to be honest, many of of the other local uh, Chinese companies are frankly disproportionately focused on on the front of the eye. Um, mm -hmm. You know, very heavy in, in eye drops and perhaps less differentiated products uh, in that regard. Uh, so, so we think there's a unique opportunity to bring innovation into these two, you know, principal uh, principal areas of growth. Thanks for that overview. And I think, you know, I agree with you, the numbers are staggering and I'm still astonished by that cataract surgical rate that, that we see in China. Um, so we talked about that the front of the eye, as it were, and you alluded to the, the, the sort of retina bucket. Let's maybe talk a bit more about that because I've been following up for Med for, for a little while Great to see the press releases that keep coming through. Uh, I saw one just, I think, in May um, of this year regarding um, the first dosing in, in the US for one of your assets, um, AM712. So firstly, congrats on achieving milestones, it seems like consistently and continuously, but would love to know a bit more about uh, AM712, just at a high level and what you can tell us. Sure, thank, thank you. And, and this, first of all, is an illustration of China for global. Right. <laughs> um, earlier we spoke about you know bringing uh, global innovation to Chinese patients. This is uh, an early example of uh, a molecule that we're developing uh, for for global markets um, and hope to monetize there. Uh, so AM seven one two is uh, is a molecule that was developed by a, a laboratory and, and biotech company based out of California uh, called Asgene. Uh, they partnered with us um, uh, with the idea of us leading global development uh, for the molecule. Um, and we're actually leading in this regard with actually with, with US development um, uh, rather than, than China. Um, again, illustrating uh, the, the two directions that we are 
taking our business. So in AM712, uh, which is the code name that we use within Affinit, uh, is, a, is a fusion protein, uh, which inhibits both VEGF um, and uh, ANG2. Uh, your and and I should uh, disclaim myself up front. I am I am not a scientist, as I <laughs> mentioned earlier. Great job. <laughs> but uh, if you if you hang around, you know, long enough, you 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 pick up some of the terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, your your listeners and, and viewers will will recognize that this is the pathway that is similar to uh, to Roche's uh, Furizumab. Uh, but I'll I'll underline that this is uh, a, a different molecule. Um, and you, you know the, the preempting your follow-on questions, which which might be, look how how is it different? Um, That's right. <laughs> what I you know what I can say is that look our, our thesis behind the product, which is based on on preclinical data, which includes uh, data from uh, from animal models, um, is that we believe that this molecule. Uh, possibly has the potential to more strongly inhibit um, ANG2. Uh, what, what that uh, might result in uh, is, uh, is potentially longer durability and or efficacy, depending on the dosing strategy, uh, compared to furizumab. Um, so our, uh, you know, our thesis and our hope for the molecule uh, is that this might be uh, a product that by the time it gets to market, Will be based on a on a pathway that by then uh, is well understood. Obviously, we are following very closely uh, what look like you know encouraging signs for adoption of of furizumab uh, relative to to this current standard of care. Um, and we think that within this pathway, uh, we, we might have a superior uh, molecule uh, from a clinical perspective. Um, now, it it is still relatively early days that the press release you referred to. Uh, was in relation to a first dosing uh, of a patient in a, in a U.S. trial uh, that we're right now um, conducting. Uh, this is a trial, and you know you can read about it on, on clinicaltrials.gov, uh, which consists of a you know of, of a dose escalating uh, component followed by by a dose expanding component. Uh, principally, of course, focused on safety and tolerability, but we also will be looking for efficacy signs. Um, and, you know, based on our current trajectory, uh, we hope to be able to share some interim data, uh, not during this year, we've only just commenced the trial, uh, but perhaps uh, by the summer of next year, uh, we hope to have some, uh, some initial data. Um, and that obviously then will sort of, you know, light the way in terms of subsequent, uh, subsequent development. Thanks for the great overview there too. And uh, it, it is wonderful to see the bridging between China and, and the rest of the world, as you say, and we wish you luck with the continued progress of that program. I wanna come back to uh, one of the points you mentioned during that uh, dialogue, where you talked about the language of ophthalmology, because um, I know you've been in this role since May, uh, 2021. Global finance and finance is second nature to you, of course, but maybe the language of ophthalmology is something that is a little more uh, boutique or, or niche, shall we say. So tell us about the CFO role. How did you adapt to you know, coming into a smaller company um, with a kind of very focused uh, mission in early stage biopharma? And what was it like learning the language of ophthalmology? Tell us more about that mm. part of the journey. Thanks. Look, um, look. In, in fairness, I, I came to this role after a, a relatively lengthy career uh, in investment banking, covering healthcare companies and biopharma in particular. So that, of course, brought with it 
you know, I think a reasonable degree of familiarity uh, with with the business dynamics of, of companies of this nature. But but one one thing to frankly to give a to give a candid answer is that the the honest answer to your question uh, has to be considered within the context of what has happened in in the global capital markets um, mm -hmm. and particularly as they relate to biotech over the past 12 months um, right tough times you know, for many people uh, when, when i when i joined the company um it was you know when uh, we were in what now in retrospect has turned out to be sort of you know the final months of of, uh, of a historic bull run um, mm -hmm. in terms of valuation and capital raising for the sector um, and uh, I think the initial premise for me uh, as a CFO was to focus principally on capital raising and, and of course, an IPO, uh, benefiting in particular from the emergence of, of Hong Kong uh, as you know, what is today the, the second largest uh, venue for capital raising in, in the public markets globally, uh, second only to, to the NASDAQ. Uh, but I think my journey, just like the journey of any other CFO in this industry right now, uh, is a journey that is uh, much more focused on, you know, how do you adapt to this this far more challenging environment where uh, financing is uh, is much less easily available, uh, comes at a at a higher cost, um, and I think like like all others, uh, we are fortunate in Afamed that we uh, raised a, a very large round of financing. Uh, in the spring of last year, uh, our most recent uh, fundraise was a, a Series B, which raised over 170 million dollars of, of new capital, um, and that buys us uh, a runway, uh, frankly, to weather uh, to weather this storm. Uh, but I think at the same time, you know, one makes you know investment and, and capital deployment decisions uh, much more carefully. Uh, than you might have done in an environment where where capital is is plentiful and uh, and relatively cheap, um, and I think you know from a timing perspective, you know the 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 path to an IPO, uh, frankly, is more unpredictable as well, uh, which means that uh, you know you you need to uh, continue to find you know alternative ways of of growing and building the company. Uh, perhaps you know accessing sources of capital that are that are non-dilutive uh, or, or more patient in that regard. So, the, the, to, so to be honest, my, my journey has been you know very focused on uh, you know on, on this adaptation. Um, I think you know the whereas there are perhaps not many benefits to you know being sort of experienced and having been around for a while I, th I think you know uh, in, in this case you know having you know frankly being old enough to have seen you know the crisis uh, of you know 0102 the crisis mm -hmm. of 0809 um, and this again is that look you, you have a sense that look uh, this will pass, um, and I'm, I'm confident that it will. And, and ultimately, you have to focus on building strong fundamentals in the business, uh, because as long as those are in order, uh, you know, you can reasonably expect investors to uh, to support you. Now that's that's really a story of adaptation and uh, resilience, if I may say. Uh, I commend you for for that. And on the topic of financing, let's maybe uh, touch upon uh, your role as an operating partner at CBC Group. Now, I know in Asia, CBC is, is a huge deal. It's, it's a very well-known and regarded investment and private equity firm. Um, but for folks who aren't so familiar, maybe give us an overview of CBC and, and your role within the organization as well. 
Sure. So CBC is, is also still a relatively young uh, fund. It is Asia's uh, principal uh, healthcare specialist investment group. It was created uh, about eight years ago um, in China, uh, but is now uh, you know, very much an international investment group that is headquartered uh, in Singapore, regulated by the monetary authorities there. Um, and what CBC has done over the past couple of years is build um, a, a, a truly multi-asset uh, investment capability, uh, but all centered around the central thesis of, of growth in, in healthcare, uh, particularly in Asia, uh, but again, looking to identify uh, opportunities globally uh, where growth in Asia can be leveraged and the ability to access that growth in Asia can be leveraged to, to build value in businesses uh, that, that frankly can be located anywhere in the world. Um, from uh, an investment style perspective, as I mentioned, uh, the fund uh, pursues uh, a range of styles. Our, the, the principal fund uh, is focused on what you would term sort of buyout or, or control investment, traditional private equity. Uh, but uh, the, the family of funds includes, uh, you know, more growth and, and venture oriented pools of capital. Uh, we have a, um, um, a, a credit, a structured credit and, and royalty uh, fund uh, with a, a second one uh, soon to be on the way. Um, interestingly, uh, during the past year, we launched uh, a healthcare real estate uh, oriented fund. Um, which um, is not just, although it could be sort of hospitals and, and senior living, but actually in this case is much more focused on the need in particular for, for manufacturing uh, by that enormous explosion of, of, of biotechnology um, entrepreneurship and, and company foundation that is taking place in China right now. There is a lot of science parks uh, that are being developed. Uh, you know, all of these need specialist manufacturing capability with, you know, with all of the unique features that, that come with that. Um, so the, the fund uh, is really looking to find ways of, of you know, of building exposure uh, to all of these facets of, of the sector. Uh, total funds under management uh, now exceed $5 billion. We have offices, um, of course, in mainland China, our head office in Singapore, but also in, uh, in London, in New York, in, um, in California, in Tokyo, uh, in, uh, most recently in, um, in Korea. Uh, so it is becoming quite a, you know, quite a broad-based platform and, uh, and a lot of fun uh, to be able to, whereas my, my principal responsibility is to Affirmed, um, you know, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a great opportunity for me to contribute my my global experience uh, in in this regard as well. Absolutely, and I, I think uh, you just mentioned the word fun, which I think is so important, right? When we're experienced leaders in the field, you still got to have fun in what you're doing, and that brings me to to my next question. So, Vijay, you're a well-regarded leader across investment banking and now in the biotech domain and healthcare more broadly. Tell us a bit more about your leadership style and the culture you're trying to, to build now where you're in a relatively smaller organization. Yeah, I, I think look, one thing that, that banking and biotechnology and life sciences have in common is that you're dealing with organizations that are staffed with the frankly highly educated, highly knowledgeable professionals. Um, and I think within organizations of that nature, I think the principal responsibility of a leader 
is to set uh, clear goals and objectives, um, but then to really empower the teams um, and really circle them around those goals uh, and, and offer the independence and, and uh, responsibility to, to then achieve those. So I think my style um, has always been, uh, you know, a very trusting style. Uh, I, I don't think uh, a more uh, putting aside that it is not my, you know, it doesn't match my own personality, but I think sort of more authoritative leadership styles, I think, have no place in, in organizations, uh, you know, that are so specialized and, and qualified um, as these types of businesses are. Um, so I, I think, you know, from, from that regard, uh, that's the way I, I continue you know, to lead in, in this environment as well. Uh, I do think it's important to have the courage to, you know, to continuously revisit these goals. Um, I, I think certainly in biotechnology where uh, at times people can become very attached to a particular scientific thesis, um, that if that thesis doesn't always quite work out in the clinic, um, it is not easy to, to accept that um, and to, to move on. Um, and I think, you know, it requires courage to, to continuously, you know, reassess uh, whether you're on the right path. And certainly I think, you know, what we've experienced in the industry over the last 12 months, you know, this is one of these times where, you know, you need to be very honest with yourself, uh, reassess the goals, uh, you know, whether they are rightly matched to, you know, either the, the capabilities of your science or the, um, the abilities that, that the financial markets can afford you uh, to, to advance that science. Um, so so that, that clearly uh, is, uh, is, is important. Uh, but to me, it is really about, um, about, you know, clear goals and empowerment. I love, love that way of thinking. And, you know, I, I was smiling as you were talking about people who become maybe too attached to a clinical program. I think I, I've been guilty of that too. And it's always really helpful to have that dialogue with, uh, you know, folks in the financial space who can help to you to kind of understand you know, the kind of business perspective and to follow the science, but be mindful of business. And so just to, to round this conversation out, you know, Vijay, you've been uh, a seasoned, shall we say, investor in the space and across healthcare, life sciences and biotech. You see many trends come and go. Tell me, what do you think uh, of these buzzwords that, you know, everyone seems to be using now on social media, so digital, omni-channel and, and dare I say the metaverse. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on these buzzwords? Are they truly the way of the future? Um, and where do you see the future of ophthalmology going? Yeah, look, I'll try and answer that question without not reverting to those buzzwords too much my, myself. <laughs> uh, but look, I, I think two, two things that fascinate me about ophthalmology within, you know, within healthcare and life sciences overall uh, is, is that first of all, um, I think when you look at um, at, at treatment paradigms and sort of the clinical reality of, of dealing with eye disease uh, is that you very quickly find yourself in a, in, in a multimodal uh, environment where, where you're dealing not just with pharmaceutical, but with devices, with instruments, uh, with diagnostics that, that, you know, need to be integrated much more strongly, I feel, uh, compared to many other disease areas. Um, digital clearly is a very powerful enabler, uh, you know, for that integration around a more holistic and, and you know, dare I say, from a buzzword perspective, patient-centric approach uh, to, you know, to, to, to treatment solutions. Um, but, but I think, you know, op ophthalmology 
offers a sort of an unusually you know rich opportunity for you know for integrating different approaches um, within China. I, I commented earlier on on the important role, uh, perhaps more so than in other markets in the world, of of very strong um, and you know well developed service providers, large chains. Uh, of of eye hospitals uh, who have very significant financial capacity as well. And what is interesting uh, is that in China, we're even seeing the providers uh, come into that mix and and playing an active role in supporting uh, product development, uh, clinical development, uh, investing out of venture funds into eye care innovation. Uh, So, you know, you you have an incredibly holistic approach uh, from product to provider um, you know, with, with obviously hopefully the patient at, at the central of that. Um, I think the second thing that's obviously exciting about eye care is that it, it's hard to spend time in ophthalmology without feeling that we really do seem to be on the verge of, of, of genuine breakthroughs um, and, and new treatment paradigms, uh, whether it is sort of more recently, you know, potential for, for bi-specifics, um, Gene therapy, uh, of course, with you know, with all of the cognizance that that requires about you know the many false starts that we've seen, uh, you know, over the past twenty odd years, really almost as long as as my my career uh, has taken place. But I think, you know, between the, those revolutions uh, from a scientific perspective and those revolutions from you know from a from a treatment perspective, uh, that you know it it is a disease area that you know, offers, uh, I think, you know, f- fascinating opportunities for growth in, uh, in a lot of directions. It, it can also be, frankly, uh, offers the potential for confusion, um, you know, as a company, like w- which direction do you go? And look, uh, I, you know, you see, uh, you know, a device-centric company like, like an Alcon emphasizing pharmaceuticals more strongly, uh, you know, you see the same happening in, in other directions. And as I mentioned, in China, we even have providers coming into the mix. So I, I do think, uh, look, you, you need to uh, have clarity on look, what, what can I really achieve strategically and sort of what is beyond my limits. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a richness of choice and opportunity uh, that's, that's really exciting. Absolutely, it is a richness of choice. And uh, BJ, thank you so much for sharing those insights and managing not to say the metaverse, although I should say that I would love to meet you in the metaverse, but preferably in real life. So BJ Carwal, CEO of Affamed Therapeutics, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the OIS podcast. Tune in next week as we chat science, medicine, and industry with ophthalmology's leading experts. Visit OIS.net for more information on podcasts, events, and exciting new features. 